of the Shamas, some telling quotes there by various people, and today we want to uh, talk about this subject of what about other religions. We're in a series called Curious, um, and today we want to engage this question first and foremost uh, from an intel... I don't have this on. That's why you can't hear me. Let's start that over again. <laughs> Today we want to engage this uh, question about what about other religions, first and foremost from an intellectual perspective, which many of you enjoy, before we conclude with some practical implications of what this question means for us about how we should live out our Christian faith in the world today. And just as a caveat, uh, although this question is often presented as a theological issue, more often than not, it is asked primarily at an emotional level. That is, the real question behind this question is the reality that you may have friends or family members who live very good moral lives but are not very religious, or you know somebody who's very religious but they believe in a religion other than Christianity. And so more than a theological issue, this, is really, this really hits home for many of us at an emotional and personal level. So whether you perceive it as such, this question is both one of the most important issues and potentially one of the most offensive. Because in a world with 1.8 billion Muslims, 1.1 billion Hindus, 500 million Buddhists, 15 million Jews, millions of people who claim a faith uh, other than Christianity, including those who claim no faith at all. Dare we even ask this question, let alone try to answer it with any kind of integrity? So what we want to do is really uh, diffuse uh, some of the co most common assertions that you hear today. Uh, a lot of them are reflected by some of the quotes that we put up earlier. So I'm going to walk through three different common assertions made under this guise about what about other religions and help us think through this. And again, this is going to be pretty high in terms of just headiness, logic, and reason, and so hope you can follow along. We'll try to make it as comprehensible as possible. So first of all, uh, I, the first assertion that I often hear and I'll call this the gospel according to John Lennon, because he said something like this earlier, but it's this, that all religions are basically the same. Right, you may have heard that too, and at a quick glance, that may confirm that uh, religions do seem the same, but you can only maintain that assertion if you compare them at a very superficial level. So for example, uh, take, take this as an example. Here are two sets of pills they look the same. They're both white, round, and small, with a little uh, line cutting across through them. And yet one is aspirin, and the other is nitroglycerin. They're not the same. Or here's another example. Let's say you're, you're on a flight headed from Detroit to Los Angeles, right? There's a picture of your destination. And uh, 30 minutes into the flight, the captain says, Gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, there is a, a, an airport that is basically the same as the one in Los Angeles that's actually in St. Louis. And if you take a look at it, I mean, they look the same. I mean, right? An airport is an airport, right? Besides, this one is so much closer, so we're going to land there instead. Now, certainly those two airports have a lot of things in common, but that is not the same thing as being the same. 
And so I think this, is, this assertion is probably the, the easiest to defend because even logically, it is not possible for all religions to be the same. For example, Christianity states that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the fulfillment of the Hebrew scriptures. Judaism says Jesus is not the Messiah. So which one is it? I mean, Jesus either is or he isn't. And that difference only grows as you add other religions. So for example, Islam says Allah is the one God, true God. And anyone who says that Christ is the son of God will be condemned. I mean, you add in Hinduism, they believe in 330 million gods. Buddhism, no gods. Right? So which is it? Which is true? And this is a fundamental uh, law of logic called the law of non-contradiction stating that two contradictory statements cannot both be true in the same sense, right? And and this is is true in all of life. And so I would assert that the person who claims that all religions are the same hasn't actually looked into any of them with any kind of seriousness. Because once you do, you realize it's not that most religions are fundamentally the same with superficial differences, but it's actually the reverse that most religions have superficial similarities with some very fundamental differences. And so again, this whole assertion that all religions are basically the same really comes to a a fruitless end. Some people may say, oh, okay, maybe they're not the same, but, you know, I heard Oprah Oprah Winfrey once say uh, that, uh, and this sentiment is echoed by many people in society today, well, maybe they're not the same, but there are many paths to God. Who's to say that yours is the right one? So when Oprah says this, what she means is, what, what she's really saying is, look, it doesn't really matter what you believe or what religion you follow as long as you are sincere because those paths all lead to the same God. And this is an image that you may have heard people talk about but it's like I'm climbing up a mountain. There are many paths to get to the top. Therefore, the reasoning goes, don't waste your time trying to convert anyone from their path to yours. Why? Because that is simply a lateral move from one equally good and true path to another. Now, this analogy makes a good point, but there's a bit of a flaw here because a person using this analogy is saying that everyone in the world is on a path. And what Christians don't realize is that though they think their path is the only path to God up the mountain, the truth is there are all these other paths. And at first blush, that sounds very uh, tolerant. It sounds even humble. Like we don't know, we can't know for certain What they don't say up front, and possibly because they don't realize this themselves, is a person using this imagery and analogy is assuming that somehow they have a bird's eye view of all the paths that no one actually has. They assume that everybody else is climbing up the mountain, but somehow they could step back and tell everybody what they don't know, which is that they're all heading up the same mountain. And here's the whole irony of this view they will insist that no one should hold firm beliefs and that no one should impose their conviction on others. Not realizing that they themselves hold very firm beliefs as they attempt to impose their convictions of tolerance 
on others. And so in, in a very contradictory way, their tolerance, as it turns out, is quite intolerant, right? And yet, these same people will often say, well, Christianity claims that Jesus is the only way to God. Isn't that intolerant? Isn't that exclusive? To the assertion, to the, uh, uh, to the assertion that that is intolerant, I would respond, no, because does, does that mean that Christians want all other positions contrary to the Christian belief to be abolished? No, not no, like absolutely not, right? Uh, on the assertion that, that this is exclusive, I would say, yes, you got us. That is exclusive. And yet the pushback, the counter-assertion would be this. We all have exclusive beliefs. Whether you, uh, whether you think you do or not, if you think you don't, right, I mean, just take somebody's donut that they paid for and they'll tell you they have a right and wrong belief, right? You took that. And, and so we talk about things, we all believe that certain things are right, certain things are wrong, even though sometimes we talk as if we don't really believe that. So driving around town, you may have seen uh, this bumper sticker. Uh, a number of people have them uh, on their cars. Coexist. Right? And there's symbols for all these different religions, including Christianity and Judaism and, and, uh, and others. And, and sometimes uh, I'm asked the question of, what do you think, Sung, uh, about that bumper sticker? Do you agree with it or not? The answer is, uh, it depends. So the answer is yes and No. And I'll explain it this way. Sometimes in our culture, in an attempt to help us get along better, we say things that are really logically silly, or more often, we confuse really important terms. Because we're afraid that if we make the claim that some beliefs are wrong, some beliefs are right, we're afraid that somehow we won't be able to get along. But there is a kind of maturity that allows us to say to one another, I actually think I'm right and I, I actually think you're wrong and I still uh, love you and respect you and we could still be friends. And so when we talk about this whole idea of coexistence, right, what we call pluralism, there is a kind of pluralism called cultural pluralism which has as a very good and valid goal in society because we live in a pluralistic society which says everyone should be equally respected and has the right to express their beliefs. Right? That's cultural pluralism. But what we often do is, in order to ensure that this happens, we confuse this and we talk as if we believe in what's called metaphysical pluralism, which is everyone's belief are equally valid or true. Right? Because we think that will somehow, uh, it feels like it will bring us closer together. Right? And, and so uh, th that is actually the third assertion. The first one is all, all religions are the same. Second one is there are many paths to God. Uh, a more nuanced version of that is all, all religions, all beliefs are equally valid. And, and they see something like this. No one has a right to say that they are right and everybody else is wrong because nobody sees the whole. Everybody sees in part. And then they use another common uh, metaphor or analogy, the blind men and the, and the elephant. Right? Have you ever seen this or heard this analogy? Right? And the, it goes like this. They come up, they, these men come up to an elephant and they touch various parts uh, of the elephant and they start to describe what the elephant is like. 
One man grabs a hold of the trunk and says, elephants are long and flexible like a snake. The next guy grabs a leg and says, no, 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 you're wrong. Elephants are short and stiff like a tree, nothing like a snake. Another person grabs the side of the elephant and says, no, 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 elephants are like big, broad, and, and, and flat like a wall. And the final guy grabs the tail and says, no, elephants are tough and round like a rope, right? Like a smelly rope, but like, like a rope nonetheless, right? Now, each one says that the other person's view of the elephant is not right. And then what you realize in this story is that we realize that every one of them is right and every one of them is wrong. And they all grasp a part of the reality of the elephant, but none of them sees the whole picture. Therefore, nobody should claim that they see truth in its entirety. So the illustration concludes, all religions see part of the truth and none of them sees the whole thing. Therefore, no one should insist that they have the entire truth. Now, on the surface, this sounds very inclusive, does it not? However, if you take a step back and look at it, you'll see this is really an exclusive claim disguised as an inclusive assertion. Let me explain it this way. The only way you could know that none of them have an entire view of the reality of the elephant is what? If you can see the entire elephant. Right? The only way you could tell this story was if you saw the whole picture, which is the one thing that the moral of this story says is impossible. Nobody has the entire view. Everybody has a partial view. Therefore, the only way you could know that all religions see only part of the truth is, yeah, you assume that you see the entire thing. So this very inclusivist assertion really is imperialistic in the sense that it, it claims to have an absolute vantage point that relativizes all others' perspectives. And here's another contradictory thing about this whole idea that all religions are equally valid or all beliefs are equally valid, and that's this. If you believe that all beliefs are equally valid, then you must also accept as equally valid the belief that all beliefs are not equally valid. And so uh, this is what I'll say. You know, if somebody says, like, man, that's an exclusive claim, like, you know, uh, you, can, you can feel, you have the freedom to say, no, look, we all have exclusive beliefs. None of us are totally inclusivists. Even the most inclusive person has a set of exclusive beliefs. Well, some people may argue, well, you know, uh, to say that Jesus is the only way sounds pretty arrogant, right? Uh, and, and, well, l- let's, let's suppose this scenario. Suppose a researcher claims to have discovered a cure for cancer, okay? I mean, huge breakthrough. Is that claim arrogant? Well, there are two possibilities. One, uh, the researcher announces the breakthrough in a manner in which it is arrogant, right? Putting down her coworkers and fellow researchers, highlighting her own brilliance. That is one possibility. Uh, that would certainly be rude and uh, arrogant and proud, proud and unpleasant, but it would still not affect the question of whether she was actually correct in claiming to have found a cure for cancer. The claim itself is neither arrogant nor humble, Those categories are irrelevant. The only appropriate question is whether the claim is true or not. Now, this is an important point I'm going to make. 
Does that preclude Christians from making exclusive claims for their faith in an arrogant manner? No. That happens all the time, doesn't it? Just watch the news. I mean, we can say some of the stupidest things in the most arrogant kind of way. But that is the kind of attitude that is certainly uh, incompatible with the teachings of Jesus. And again, I think it's really important for us to distinguish these two things. The Bible says, look, the gospel message will be what Paul calls a stumbling block. It will be offensive, right? However, that does not mean that the gospel messenger should be that way too. The gospel messenger is actually called to be kind, compassionate, respectful, and loving. And saying that Christianity is right does not mean that Christians themselves are right about everything. Can I get an amen on that? Right? Let me say it again. To say that Christianity is right does not mean that Christians themselves are right about everything. Or does it mean that we are somehow superior to non-Christians? Nor does it justify Christians to arrogantly dismiss other people. That is all against the teaching of Jesus. And to say that Christianity is right does not mean, it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean Christianity is right and all other religions are wrong. It doesn't mean that because there are actually elements of truth in all religions. I mean, Buddha says things that echo Jesus, right? There are elements of truth in all of them. We simply believe that it is in Christianity that the best most clear and fullest expression of the reality of who God is and the nature of this world, both beautiful and broken, is represented in a faith like Christianity. And therefore, as we live our Christian life, it is so important for us to distinguish that there is equality in regards to the value of people, but there is hierarchy in regards to the veracity of ideas. Too often we confuse those two things. So, yes, we believe in cultural uh, pluralism. Everybody should be equally respected and has the right to express their beliefs. However, that doesn't mean that all ideas are equally true. In fact, here's the thing that Christianity does not say. Christianity does not say, well, only Christians deserve to go to heaven. Christianity says, actually, nobody deserves to go to heaven. Because we've all fallen short of God's glory. The only way that we gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven is by receiving Christ's death on the cross as payment for our sins and to follow him as the one true God and our Messiah. And the principle is, yeah, Jesus is the only way to God. However, eternal life is available and accessible for everyone and it's intended for everyone to receive it. Thereby, I would argue, making it one of the most inclusive religions in the world. All the other religions, you have to do good works. You have to be good enough. You have to follow certain practices or laws. Christianity is, is exclusive only in the sense that no matter how hard you try, you will never secure salvation by your own effort or your own goodness. Which means that even the most evil serial killer can have eternal life through a deathbed conversion. And it also says that even someone like the Dalai Lama needs to submit to Christ, not as just another good moral teacher, but as Savior and Lord. 
That message is not one of doom and judgment. It's one of humble hope. So let's bring this down to a practical uh, level. What does that mean for us today? I think first it means, for for those of you who are followers of Jesus, here's one thing it means. It It means that we need to understand truth is not a proposition that needs to be argued or defended. Truth is embodied in a person named Jesus of Nazareth. Right? Jesus is unique among all other religious leaders. All the others, they pointed the way to God. Jesus alone said, I am the way to God. All the other religious leaders, for example, the Buddha said, here is a truth, follow the way. Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the way, follow me. If you're a spiritual explorer today, here's what I would like challenge you to do, is consider what, what are you gonna do with Jesus' claim? And will you open up your life and receive him? You don't have to be good enough. You could be the most evil serial killer and have eternal life. Or you could be like a, a, a really good moral person and you still need Jesus. What will you do with his claims? For those of you who are followers of Jesus, here is my challenge to you, right? We see many bad examples of arrogant Christians in the world. Let us not be a church where people look at us and, and can make that claim that we are intolerant and ignorant. Let me, let me leave you with this quote from Madeline Lengel in her book called Walking on Water. She says this, We do not draw people to Christ by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. And I love this last sentence. It means to live in such a way that one's life would not make sense if God did not exist. Are you living in a way in such a way that your life doesn't make sense because of the way you you are loving to all people, the way you are generous, the way you are kind? Does your life not make sense unless God actually exists? It's interesting, later on in the book, Madeline Lengel says this, only those with great confidence in the truth can risk this approach. And then she says, the less secure must annihilate those who disagree. That is so true, right? Only somebody who's insecure in their faith or in their belief has to annihilate those who disagree. Those of us who are secure in the one who holds, who is the truth and holds the truth, we, we don't have to defend God. He, he is more than capable of doing that. We are simply called to love people with gentleness and respect, with compassion, by listening and by befriending people, by loving them. That is our call. That is our challenge. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and pray with me? So God, we, th- we are so thankful and so grateful that you have rescued us from our sins, that you paid the price on the cross, and that now you call us your children. And because of that, God, today we want to come and proclaim your greatness that you are the name above every other name, including ours, that you are the only name from which we can be saved from our sins 
And because of that, God, we want to give you all that we have and all that we are. You are worthy of every breath. You are worthy of our best. You are worthy of the song. You are worthy of every prayer. You are worthy of our hearts. And so today, God, we want to live for you. As much as we fail and fall, your grace is sufficient. And we have access to you right away. So God, we love you. We lift up our hearts. We lift up our voices now in response to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.